Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to We Have a Take the What podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and I am joined, as always, by Rose Harding. Hey, Rose. Hi, Tara. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, but you have to remind me to stop, like, accidentally hitting my table because I can see, like, in the video, it's, like, wobbling back and forth, and it's probably making you seasick. <laughs> so I'll try <laughs> to keep my legs still during our discussion. That's okay. I, uh... I spent a lot of time playing a first-person shooter last night, so I know what it's like to feel seasick because those games are very shaky. How are you? Now, you had some special visitors over the weekend, right? Yes. Uh, my parents came, and which is lovely because they haven't been here for a while, but um, my basketball brain is a little exhausted because as soon as my dad gets in the same room with me because my mom doesn't like to talk about basketball, my dad's like, let's talk about basketball. And his basketball interests are like, insufferable like what okay so like he went his undergrad degrees from yukon so he's okay. obsessed with yukon okay and he will talk to me about the yukon men the yukon women the yukon men and women of the past the people who are in the nba he knows them all he wants to talk about them all and it's just a lot and then the other thing his other basketball interests i mean he's a big blazers fan because i grew up you know be becoming a blazers fan because of my dad but he also because he's from new york is like a big Knicks fan my mm -hmm. whole life mm -hmm. except for as of late and maybe the last like three years or four years or five years I don't know how many years now he's decided he's a big Joel Embiid fan uh I don't know why but he's like he's a big Joel Embiid Sixers fan which is like the upside down world because I grew up with him as a Knicks fan right isn't like 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 the worst thing I guess being a Celtics fan is probably worse but otherwise I would feel like a Knicks turning into a 76ers fan like has he been excommunicated from the fan group <laughs> I don't know I haven't asked this that seems bad I know it's so weird because I'm like out of all the players that you like that like pique your interest that you're gonna abandon your lifelong team for it's Joel Embiid mm -hmm. but I I think I've said this to you before, but like my dad has like a he has a big like soft spot for like sports villains. Okay. My dad loves a good sports villain. And so, you know, like my parents, them, they've had season they have had, they have season tickets to the ducks, like men and women's teams, and they go to watch ducks games in Eugene. And my dad loves Dylan Brooks, my dad loves Patrick <laughs> Beverly, and my dad loves every like potster. Uh-huh. So maybe that's why he likes Joel Embiid. Maybe. Yeah, he's a pretty but, good troll if you like to cheer for those kind of guys. <laughs> except my dad's not on the internet, so I don't know how he oh. knows that Joel Embiid is a troll. Hmm. Maybe does he like, um, is it just that maybe the 76ers are closer to winning a championship right now than the Knicks are? <laughs> and he's decided that <laughs> it's time to win for somebody or root for somebody who might actually win. Or maybe it's less stressful because I know that I have to imagine that being a Knicks fan, Knicks fan is incredibly stressful. Maybe he's just looking for a little bit less stress in his life. Maybe so. I, I also kind of think that the out of in that east area the team that's the most likely to win another championship is the celtics and my dad would rather die than watch the celtics win another championship and okay. so maybe he's like if it can't be the knicks it has to be somebody else and the sixers seem like they have the best shot although i don't know if i really agree with that either i don't know if i think that the that the sixers are the best have a better shot than the celtics 
Well, have a have a better have a have the best shot in the East besides mm-hmm. the Celtics. I don't know who it would be though, mm-hmm. honestly. I think we all thought that like Miami might be up there and um what, the Bucks? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the but... Bucks. Can I tell you how little I think about the Bucks? Yes, <laughs> right please now? tell me. Tell me. <laughs> I just don't. I am and I we've talked about this before. Like I am so much more invested in how the Suns are doing than I am about how the Bucks are doing. Even though our greatest fran- player in franchise history is now at the Bucks and it makes perfect sense for everybody who went from being a Blazer fan to following Milwaukee because Damian Lord is now that is not where my heart and my gut are taking me. <laughs> they are taking me to sunny Phoenix. And I want Nurkic to do well. I want Nas to do well. I want Drew Eubanks. I want the Shack of Troutdale to do well. I am so much more invested in that team than I am in the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, I also am. I watched quite a bit of Suns because I still want to watch Nurk play. And I just I don't care I guess about seeing the Bucks play. I mean maybe if they get to that point in the playoffs I will watch them play, but like I just I don't know. It's just not my favorite thing right now. Also, but I did I will say this. I did love the ball drama around Giannis. I'm sorry. Like it was so great to actually see Giannis do something and I'm not like, "Oh, that's so adorable." Cuz like I regularly see videos of of Giannis and I think like, "Oh, he's this is the most lovable NBA star thing ever. And then I saw him do this. I'm like, okay, you're just a big kid and it's you are annoying just like everybody else. So good job. <laughs> you're just a big ego driven by your giant ego like everybody else. Yes, it's fine. It's fine. It's very humanizing to see him like not make funny off the cuff like dad jokes after a pre- after a, a in a press conference. Um and instead to watch you do something super annoying like that I would like I would expect out of Chris Paul but not out of you it was really weird it was really weird to see him care so much like about about the game ball like I understand he's amped because he just got a you know career high 64 points that's an incredible achievement or whatever but for him to just instantly it's like it it was just that to, for him to instantly think this other team was messing with him, you know? And it's like, I love the fact that we now have this rivalry between the Pacers and the Bucks. <laughs> what for the Pacers? What a great rivalry though, because it like organically happened. And mm-hmm. partly I will, will say to credit where credit is due, partly mm-hmm. because of the in-season tournament. I think you and I were never down on the in-season tournament. I think you were not a fan of the courts, but that's probably, I think that's as far as we ever got about like not liking the in-season tournament. And I love how it turned out that like the numbers were so high, (laughs) people (laughs) watching those games, players fighting hard for it. And everybody who like complained, like all the media members who were complaining about it, like trying to like backpedal um, that like, oh, I mean, it always looked like it was going to be successful, but we just think they should tweak a few more things. It's like, just calm down. It was fine. It was fun. Can we just enjoy something that was fun? Yeah, I agree. It was fun. And like, the thing is, is everybody was down on it until their team was in it. Just (laughs) like Caitlin Cooper said to us, until you win it all. And now that, and trust me, like now the in-season tournament, to quote our favorite 
blazer writer sean hyken is in the prestige zone because the lakers won uh-huh. and had maybe they might have tried to like delegitimize like, like different fan bases would have tried to delegitimize it if it was like someone really small and people felt was undeserving but like the lakers won the first one and now it's like everybody's gonna be like oh yeah of course the like the lakers won the in-season tur- tournament it's legit and I'm like, yeah, but you know what they had to do to win? They had to have the refs make a horrible call in their favor <laughs> to even get them there. But when I saw, here's the thing. Okay. Tinfoil hat. Come with me for a second. As soon as I saw all of the marketing that they had prepared for the in-season tournament, and they clearly had to prepare it ahead of time because you couldn't get all that together, like in a couple of days where you found out which the, where the actual teams were going to be. They had banked on LeBron being there. And if LeBron had not been in Vegas to do his little like Vegas PR around, I want to own a team here and yada, yada, yada. This is a great city with great fans. I don't know what they would have done with half the marketing material that they created if he wasn't there. They're going to send him there on his day off to promote it when his team isn't playing. No, they're not going to do that. So I'm not here to say necessarily that they fixed the game for for the Lakers, but like the NBA was banking on the Lakers being there. It was very convenient. Yeah. They're yeah. also like the closest team, like the closest team to Vegas. And I'm pretty sure they're in the 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 Lakers are in the Vegas like market. Or the okay. they, or Mar- the Lakers are the the like the the home team for their market. Um I'm pretty sure because one of my close friends is from Vegas and he grew up a Lakers fan because that's what was on TV. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, just saying i'm excited to see it next year and i think it did add interest to the beginning of to the beginning of the season especially like that first weekend because i was at the blazer game where they won that first one and especially for a team that was building and has no expectations for them to have that one early like game that had stakes it was really 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 fun and i think that next year a lot more people are going to tune in to those early games just to see what happens i hope i i totally hear what you're saying about the convenience of the lakers winning and i'm wondering if what's going to happen in the future is teams who expect that they're going to contend for a championship are going to pay attention to those games so that people don't forget that they're going to be contending for a championship that year or if it's going to go to like some of the smaller market maybe less um less aspirational teams will uh, be able to start, you know, making money out of a a strong performance in the in-season tournament. But I love it. I think it's great. I'm super excited to see more and see where it goes. I think it's more fun than the all-star weekend. Like the the final buildup to it, I thought was more fun than the all-star game. Also, there's more of an earned aspect to that than like the all-star game which doesn't quite feel that way it feels like a popularity contest you know it's like the difference between getting a superlative in your high school yearbook versus the difference between winning a championship on a team where you had to beat (laughs) other teams like (laughs) that's funny maybe it would be it'd be fun if like they shifted it a little bit so that the instead of an all-star game we just had the final for the in-season tournament you know what event I I just I don't know why I just thought of this an event I would like at the All Star game, besides like, the athletic rebounding competition. Yes, besides the athletic rebounding competition, obviously no. I would like like a backwards game where the referees play and the players get to <laughs> <the> referee. <laughs> oh my gosh! 
<laughs> and figure out how hard it is. That's the other thing I want to say is like, I think that's a really hard job for referees and like the scrutiny of like everyone on TV being able to see the play from eight different angles in slow motion makes it really hard and impossible for them to be as good as everyone thinks they should be because that's not how their brain is operating. They don't have eight different angles running on whatever speed they want to see like the action on. Like they got to call it in the moment. That is hard. If with the speed of the game, that's super hard. I I like where you're going with that. Remember at Summer League when they had Richard Jefferson be uh he he had one quarter where he was the ref i think we should do more of that at summer league and i remember some people were so mad about that because it was like destroying the integrity of the game or whatever but even though richard jefferson wasn't a current player just getting people out getting people out there who like he, he like practiced for it like he said that he like trained you know to figure out how to do it he worked really really hard and he just did it for a quarter i think it would be more fun to um or it'd be fun to do more of that, whether or not it's in like summer league or preseason or all-star game. I like where you're going with that. You know how they added like an extra ref to the, to the crew in the NBA a couple of years ago, or so now they have an extra set of eyes. They should reserve that spot, the extra ref for some commentator talking head who criticizes refereeing in games. <laughs> it's like, it's like, if you want to criticize them on TV, that's fine. But now you got to go be one for a game. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're. I think we're. Uh. We're onto something. Let's continue to work. Workshop this until we have a proposal all ready to go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Then we'll bring it to the to the NBA Board of Governors. <laughs> send it in. Send it into the league once they've done everything they can with the in season tournament, and they'll be looking for the next thing to do, uh, to get everybody talking. Okay. Well, to to switch back to the Blazers. Um, Blazers are. I would say healthy for the most part right now, the, the last week or two, we haven't, we haven't talked in, in two weeks. Um, Cause we had some fun family stuff going on last weekend. Um, but in the meantime, since we last talked, the Blazers have gotten back most of their players who were injured, obviously not Robert Williams, but they got Jeremy, they got Ant, they got Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody else came back. Uh, Brogdon. Did I say, Oh, Aiden was out Aiden. for a while. Yes. Thoughts, uh, ob- observations about, how the blazers are looking now that they're uh whole um i think i mean they look better they look way better than they did before like they had their like first and second string point guards available you know like i i i'll say i still think that there's a lot to figure out for them because they've had had a lot of injuries at the beginning of the season like that like getting to know your team and figuring out how to play well together is still very much happening but at least they get like reps toward that now instead mm-hmm. of just having like random guys like being put into like kind of off positions just because they have minutes to fill um but I'm also really grateful I'll say for that like little period of time because I don't know if we would have seen the emergence of Jabari Walker the way that we have had like all of those guys been healthy the entire way like I think that it made way for some minutes for guys that we wouldn't necessarily have seen like explicitly Money. like mm-hmm. like yeah held for them and all of a sudden like Tamani like he's still in the starting lineup like look at him go and uh you know when they came time to like bench some guys like in the starting lineup I was really glad to see that Shaden was still in the starting lineup and um I think actually like I'm I'm happy to see Scoot coming off the bench because I think that he feels more comfortable and more like free to like one start the game watching it 
mm-hmm. and then get in the game because he can like use his he, he can really just sp- spend his full attention to watch the action and see what's happening and watch what the de- like the defense is doing before he has to be inserted into the game and figure out how to make an impact and that's like a really nice opportunity for him with like out like the pressure of the spotlight that i think he started the season with yeah i definitely agree with um I really like Scoot coming off the bench and we don't need to rush him in. We don't need to rush him into like the, the starting lineup. Um, it's lovely to have uh, both Ant and Jeremy back because they were just so lacking on anybody <laughs> who could who could shoot. So it's lovely having some shooters back. Although I have to say Matisse has been um, a wonderful, uh, he's not obviously scoring at that volume, but he's uh, been really efficient when he does shoot. So I've, I've liked that. I would, I actually thought, especially the first game that Brogdon and Aiton came back, I thought they actually looked worse. And I was just like, oh my God. Um, and I think what it was is it was a um, demonstration of the fact that this is a young team because I think, um, because even though their better players came back, like in every metric (laughs) those guys are the better more experienced players and their return should have just like okay everything falls into place but i think this team is so young and so far has so far to go into being you know done that the disruption of the lineup was so chaotic it could not be overcome by the skill and experience of the guys who actually came back i think yeah um you know a shaden scoot um tomorrow you know tamani i think all those guys like they had gotten really good at playing in the formation and in the um the lineups that they had been forging ahead with but i don't think that they're experienced enough to be able to pivot quickly back to okay now here's our old thing like i just think i so I'm not, I don't think it was a bad thing, but I was kind of surprised my, cause my eyes were kind of like, oh my God, what are we, <laughs> what are we watching here? This is not, uh, this is not where we were. So anyway, I just, I, that, this is all I'll say. I, th- I think that that is a symptom of the fact that they are a very young and developing team. And were they more, a more experienced team than just sliding their experienced players back in would have been like, yay. But more, it was like, they sort of all sort of fell on their faces and have to relearn everything all over again. And a lot of people would say that's coaching. And I I believe that it, you know, part of it is I, I think there's we have a real marriage, which we knew we was gonna we were gonna have all year of coaching and inexperience. And they're just gonna have to figure it out. We have to just play games for them to figure it out. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a big difference between I totally agree with you, for one. And two, I think there's just a big difference between getting your stars back and slotting them back into a system that has already been ironed out. Mm-hmm versus your stars coming back after being injured so early in the season with a brand new team that you don't have exactly like a settled system that everybody is really comfortable operating within to like just come back to your old roles like people were still getting having their roles defined when those guys were injured and and they're still were like tinkering with lineups and like you know these are still guys all getting used to each other because most of them weren't on the scene last year so like it feels like now we're kind of getting a soft reset on that season because the, you can't just slot back stars into a ready-made, like, well-practiced system. Um, 
So it's, I think it's a little bit coaching. It's a little bit, it's a little bit like the newness of all these guys playing together. And it's also just a little bit of like pe- people still figuring out what role they're going to play because like, I mean, Aiden, I thought looked great before he was injured, but I would not say that his role was settled because the guys are like the, the lineups were still being tinkered with and guys were still earning their minutes and like they're figuring out how to use some of these guys better. Like, look at the difference between how we're using Tumani Kamara now versus at the beginning of the season. And that wasn't even that long ago. Like it's December. Like we we saw him getting minutes like in October, but they were not like the kinds of minutes he's getting now. And now they're like, oh, like you're a starter. You're a starter. You're a defensive anchor. Like that's not something we knew about him when we first got him, really. And we kind of got a glimpse of it in preseason, but like it really took up until now to see like what some of those what what some of the potential could be long term. And I think that like this group has decided to invest in that by put giving him starter minutes. But like Jabari, like again, but Jabari, like we might not have seen Jabari Walker, like take like get those minutes and then be like, come take them from me at your own peril. But they because did. My minutes that's, are good. That's what I don't like about was last night. They took Jabari's minutes away. He barely yeah. played, and that was like such a disappointment. And I was trying to figure out like is he injured? Is he in trouble? I I don't know. And like I asked Danny Morang about it, and and Dan said that like um you know Chauncey seems to like to play like nine men and Jabari's like number 10 and so I think the situational then situational based on the matchup they they put him back in when they tried some small ball like they did not try any small ball until later on in the game last night against Dallas they were like okay we'll try small ball um I just think that that um it's just it's just so weird when there's this balance between like oh my god we have too many good players because I mean say that with an asterisk um but like we suddenly got two guards back and now like we're running out three guards and it's like why are we doing (laughs) why are we doing this like you know I don't I don't know it's like they're they're trying to force force things to happen like they were cruising along with Reese playing the starting center and then the first game um Aiton came back they put Moses Brown in as the backup like I understood he had a game where he got a lot of rebounds but like mm-hmm. that just threw everybody off. Everyone was like, wait, we're, we're used to playing with, with Reese and now here we go. Um, and then the same with like working Ant and Brogdon both into a lineup with Shaden and Scoot. At the beginning of the season, I fully understood, especially with, I thought we were going to need it more with Shaden, but boy, did we really need Scoot to play alongside somebody with real NBA, deep NBA point guard experience. Like, yeah. He would always, you know, play better when he was like alongside Brogdon Um, or it seemed like he played better alongside Brogdon. But now I feel like he's, you know, because Ant and Brogdon were out, Scoot was forced to play a lot since he came back. He's gained a lot. And Mm. now I just see Brogdon sitting in the corner and I'm just like, I don't I don't know that we need that so more. I, I don't I don't know that we need that. I don't know that we need this many guards anymore. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I just, I um, like, why do I even care? This is developmental year, Yeah, <laughs> but I, I really, I wanted, I guess what I'll end up by saying is like, I really understood at the beginning, Scoot needs to play alongside somebody who does it the right way. And I feel like Scoot has now done that. And I would rather have him since they're not winning just be in there because now we've seen that he can do it. 
like last night first half was like i don't even know what planet he was playing on and the second half he just like got it all back together game before that was the same way like we've we've seen that he now knows what he's supposed to do he can't do it every game and he can't do it for a whole game but he's felt it in his body and he's done it and i think we just need to give him all the chances in the world now to do that i totally agree and like i go back to this like think to this thinking that like we had at the beginning of the season where um where Brogdon was supposed to be playing this more mentorship role in fewer minutes and I think that we've got to the place now where we could like reasonably return to that where Brogdon doesn't have to have 25 minutes to 30 minutes a game like that's just silly and you know we can play these younger guys these younger guys and like pair pair up Brogdon with guys when it makes sense um, but not like ride him like he's a core member of this team because I also still like have the belief that like he's probably on the move around the trade deadline. That's my feeling. I like unless for some reason we have like health problems or something changes, it's hard for me to believe that we're gonna he's gonna be on our team at the trade deadline because he might be really helpful for one of those teams that's just looking for that extra guard who's like trying to contend. He's great for that. Um, so like I think returning him to that kind of mentorship like role with fewer minutes, but like more thoughtfully paired with guys who need him to like be that presence on the floor. It's is a, a really good use for him now. And Ant can be that now too. Cause Ant, Ant, even though we think of him as like our baby Ant, like, you know, he's still an NBA vet and he has plenty of experience now in the NBA that he can impart that like wisdom and also that, like that calmness of a vet to the younger guys. So like, I don't know. I, I have more confidence in his ability to do that now than I did maybe like a year and a half ago. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up because I think people forget that Anthony is in his sixth year in the league. Like he's been around and like we all do think of him as like that very young and experienced player who came in, but he has been in. And last night against Dallas, when he got a technical, <laughs> that I was like, ooh, who is this Anthony? This is fun. Cause like he even did like the stand up and kind of scream thing. And I was like, have we ever seen that from Anthony? I was like, hmm, this is very interesting. I would like to see, I would like to see more of that. And I would like to see his teammates amp him up, right? You know, I think these guys, um, I want to see some more of the, I think right now they're all watching, like holding their breath, waiting for something good to happen. But what I want to see them is more just like gassing each other up. <laughs> like, totally. you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Um, and uh, that kind of brings me to uh, a couple weeks ago or several weeks ago, we had our episode about the what awards. And um, I was wondering if you have, you know, this kind of goes to bench celebrator, man, any, any observations on that award or any other awards, people that might um, be doing something that we should keep our eyes on. Um, So I know that we, some of our, some of our listeners have sent us, some stuff which is awesome i'll say for me one of the things that i noticed i have noticed like all season long is how how many of these guys like on the bench when i see even when they're not celebrating are like watching the game the young guys especially i see them all really watching the game which i think is really great and i don't know if that's true for everybody but like i see like scoot stands a lot even when he's on the bench i think now that he's playing more he doesn't do it as much but like when he wasn't playing at all he stood the entire game and i really just love that like intensity and like and like investment and in, like watching the team play and like learning what you can learn there um i will say i do love a jabari walker celebration a little bit because sometimes they're like 
they're like small but they're sassy have you like he makes like 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 pout faces or like scowls or like what like i don't know he he has a he has a great face remember how drew eubanks was everything with his body Mm -hmm. he did everything with his body he threw his body around and i think that uh, zach collins was the same way he'd like fall off the bench or whatever like jabari jabari's got a great face going on like he may not do it all with his body all the time but he's he's got like great great facial expressions jabari does the straight arms with the fist and then stomps a lot yeah 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) which is really which is fun and is i always like um i think we talked about this before with cj ellaby um the hair when the yes. hair when the hair gets into it and Jabari's hair gets into it <laughs> when he does yeah. that stomping thing. Um, you're right. We did have a couple of um folks send us some suggestions. Our friend Tanya Tom Cocker at um on Twitter uh nominates Malcolm Brogdon, very engaged, lots of clapping and encouragement. First one up to give guys a high five or an encouraging word. I think that's a really interesting what you observed, Rose, about the young guys like really watching the game because I bet they you know are constantly you know on film watch and now they're being challenged to like we're not going to wait until the film to decide what we need to do better we're going to decide by watching the game what we need to do better i bet they've been challenged to that but guys like malcolm brogdon like maybe they don't you know they (laughs) they don't need to watch it as intensely because they've been around for a while and they've played in enough games Another recommendation came from All Good. Julio Cantu said that Scoot's reaction to his sharp dunk was uh, noteworthy. I think that was, yes, Shaden has had some really great dunks, but so has Scoot over the last two games. Scoot has really driven to the hoop. And um, I think it was after last, after the Dallas game, the interview with the coach afterwards, the coach said that he challenged scoot to go to the hoop more he said hey you're athletic like you got to make them you got to make more of those runs we know you can do it and he said that he actively challenged him to do it and i say good job on the coach so maybe it's not the coach who hates dunks it's just everything in the air that hates dunks in portland yeah i mean i think there's also a certain amount of confidence you have to have to go to the hoop and just like You'd be like, I'm making this basket or they're going to have to foul me hard because like it's probably not fun to get fouled hard like that at the NBA in the NBA at that speed. Like it probably hurts quite a bit to get to get put down like that. And it can be demoralizing when there's a, the young guys, I think, that don't get quite the like benefit of the whistle that some of the like vets get to just like take those hits for nothing and then not mm-hmm. make a not make not make the basket. So like. I think that like Scoot will get more comfortable with his skill set, but I've I loved seeing him go like try to like to do that like linebacker thing that he does when he just decides he's going, and you either have to f- hard foul him or he's gonna make that basket. I mean, he, I'll say I don't think he finishes quite as quite as consistently as I thought he might, but that'll come with time. He just hasn't had a lot of opportunity to like go up against NBA defenses like this. Yeah, and I I think the coach is like telling him like do it more like take those like take those opportunities i think scoot really wants to do everything right and so i think he maybe overthinks some of those things because it's like i'm not ready to do that like no you 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 have to do it in order to know whether or not you're ready to do it so i'm happy to see him trying that um um, i think we definitely have a contender for blazer legend which people may recall is ex-blazer who contributes in some way either you know 
um, through somehow makes the Blazers better, somehow makes the NBA better, or just warms our heart. So I would like to say that uh, a, a contender this year is Yusuf Nurkic for taking the hit from Draymond Green, which may signal the beginning of the end or the middle of the end or the end of the beginning of the demise of the Golden Warriors. Thank you, Yusuf, for your contribution. And, and I'll just say, in a way that he has often sacrificed for the Blazers by putting his face out there. <laughs> Yusuf Nurkic getting clocked by Draymond Green and setting off the first Draymond's... This is his first indefinite in suspension. Yeah, but this is like his second suspension of the season. and No, and his third of the calendar year, I read, because he got suspended last year in like the toward the end of the season. It's bad. It's it's yeah. Bad. And this is all to say this is like none of this is related to him kicking anybody in the nuts. No, he's that's like old. That's like so old. That's like old Draymond. The new Draymond, yes, yeah, just like is is doing other things. Um, and uh, I thought it was very interesting because you know this time it seems like the Golden Warriors are starting to so show signs of fatigue on this. I also thought it was super interesting that Draymond um, did that to someone who is represented by the same representative as he has, Clutch. And uh, the first time I've ever heard Draymond apologize. Do you yeah. remember him apologizing for his other ones? No, I've, I kind of remember some like non-apology apologies where he was like, shouldn't have put his throat in my the crook of my arm <laughs> well i know I, I think that like what we've heard from him before is like um he like he still wanted to like fight suspensions or like you know like say how they were unfair because they were for like past behavior kind of stuff and i'm like yeah but like at one point that behavior that past behavior was it was present behavior and right now we're talking about new present behavior my friend like i, I just i don't i don't know how long you can defend yourself by saying like is my reputation because you just keep doing it and some people have reputations for a reason because they're earned i yeah he i remember with the with the with the like at least with the stephen adams stuff he tried to like act like he really wasn't doing it he would be like mm -hmm. my oh, core I, isn't strong yeah. enough so i had to kick my legs out <laughs> to like jump the... that high and i was like nobody believes that bro that was the best excuse. My core isn't strong enough. An NBA player saying that his core isn't strong enough to keep him from flailing his legs out. That was hilarious. I was like, you play an undersized 4-5. Like, your core is fine, buddy. <laughs> yeah. In any case, Yusuf Nurkic and your face, thank you so much for your service. You are in our sights as a potential Blazer legend. And I just want to say that, like, there's like this other kind of like unofficial aspect of his contribution to the sport of basketball, which is that we all have these like bleacher report quote memes that float around for time and time again. And I'm pretty sure that brother needs help is going to be around there with Adam Silver's like, you know, whatever buddy and mm -hmm. Jared Allen's the, the lights were brighter than expected. So, <laughs> you know, I everybody like cue that one up in your drafts because you're going to be using it again. I promise. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, should we switch over to start talking about Tamani Kamara? Yes. 
I am so excited to talk about my left-handed brother, Tamani Kamara. <gasps> Me too. I loved learning um, about him. So I'll just jump right in and you jump in whenever you want to. Um, so Tamani Kamara was born on May 8th, 2020. Shout out to all the guys born, or sorry, May 8th, 2000. <laughs> Shout out to all the guys born in 2000 because it's really easy to know how old they are. Um, so he's a 6'7" power forward um he was born and raised in brussels belgium um me not being terribly good at geography i went and just to remind people where belgium is located it is uh it's in western europe it is uh directly north of france south of the netherlands on the east you have um germany and a little bit of luxembourg and then on the west coast um is really is on the english channel so if you live on the west coast of uh, belgium you look out over on england and then brussels is kind of basically in the middle of all of that um so he was born there his mother is belgian and haitian and then his dad was from mali in africa his mother is named anne and I'm going to, I don't know how to pronounce things in French. Anne Le Docte, D-O-C-T-E. Um, so that is his mother. He has an older brother whose name I'm also don't know how to pronounce. T-I-D-I-A-N-E-E. T-D-I-A-N, maybe? I'm not sure. Um, anyway, Tumani has an older brother and um, they were basically raised by their mom. He also had a younger sister who died as a baby when um, uh, she had a, 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 an illness in her lungs. So Tumani has four butterflies tattooed on his right leg that pay tribute to his family, includes his mother, his brother, his sister, and himself. So started playing basketball in Belgium when he is around six or seven years old, following in his brother's uh, footsteps. Like so many of these guys get started because their older brothers are, or older siblings are playing. Belgium is not a big basketball country. Uh, football, soccer are what is uh, the most popular over there. So it was a little bit harder to um, connect um, and find, you know, the, the basketball opportunities. He's he and his brother searched online and finally found it so they could watch the NCAA. That was like the first basketball they watched. They watched the final four and then eventually they found um, the NBA and they were able to watch the Miami Heat. And one of his first players uh, that he really admired was Dwayne Wade. And because he watched um, that Miami Heat finals from Belgium at like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um FYI, in Brussels, they speak French and Dutch. Tumani speaks primarily French. It's kind of like if you live in the northern half of the country, you're more likely to speak, speak Dutch because of your uh, proximity to the Netherlands. But he speaks French. Um, I bet you're wondering if there's ever been any other Belgian players in the NBA. I have been wondering this. Well, let me tell you. Uh, one player who identifies as a Belgian national is DJ Mabenga. Um, he played in the NBA. He actually was born in the Congo and came to Belgium when he was 17, but he identified as a Belgian player. So he was the first NBA player to um, ever play in the uh, NBA from Belgium. Tony Parker was actually born in Bruges um, while his dad was playing international basketball. But Tony mm. Parker has always identified as French and played for the French national team. 
Um, and then Frank Nielakina was also born in Belgium, but he moved to three to France when he was three and um, was chosen for he he played with the French national team. So even though he's born in Belgium, he identifies as French. So um, when uh, Tumani was about 12, 13, a teenager, he really got focused on wanting to be a basketball player. The, and this was like internally driven by him. This wasn't people coming to him and telling him that he should go and become a basketball player. This was him really deciding this is what he wanted to do. And he started talking to coaches. And eventually when he was about 16 or 17, he was able to, um, his coach in Belgium connected with a coach in the U.S. who was able to find him a, a place to play. So he moved to Hollywood, Florida when he was uh, 16 and played at Shimande Madonna um, is the school that he played. Shimande Madonna College Preparatory Academy, which is where he played. Rose, we have an origin story for a nickname. I'm so excited about this because you know how like we're not quite sure where Dominating came from. Yes, even though we 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 figured out that it at least proceeded now. He didn't yeah. if he named it himself it was a lot earlier. But yeah. this is something that I think is very important to you and I and maybe not so important to other people is that <laughs> nicknames were not self-given. Right. So uh Tamani's Twitter handle is too many buckets and this is a nickname that he got when he was in high school. He says, "We were playing 5 on 5 in open gym at shimande madonna and i was playing really good i was scoring a lot and one guy took my name and changed it he said tumani no you are too many too many buckets and that was where the birth of his nickname came from um oh this is kind of i have two other kind of fun things about um this uh this period of his life um like i said he went to um Shimande Madonna and I thought it was very interesting I don't know why I thought this was interesting but Dan Lebetard also went to that school <laughs> also went to that high school there's a bunch of NFL players from that high school um and Dan Lebetard and then Tamani is the only NBA player <laughs> who went to that high school um and then notable people from Hollywood Florida you might know the name Steve Blake I do know that name <laughs> Blazers legend Steve Blake. Yes, I, I was excited. I went, ooh, when I learned about that. Um, so anyway, uh, Tumani said that his goal was to be able to play D1 in college and then go on to play professionally. So um, he did get recruited by a number of D1 schools. And I don't know, do you want to take it from here? I think that you, um, yes, why don't you just take it from here? I talked a lot. <laughs> Yeah, so he 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 got his wish, and I. But one of the things I'll just say that's interesting to me is that like he came to the United States to play basketball because he wanted to play basketball, but he also didn't go to one of those schools where people go just to play basketball and be like and enter that like pipeline, right? Because a lot of those guys that come from like across from overseas to play here in a high school setting go to like. Oh, kill. They go to those like kind of prep schools that are like focused on basketball. But as you said, the prep school that he went to was not exactly known for their basketball program. There wasn't a lot of like 
NBA players that had come up out of there. So he just came here primarily for like better opportunity because basketball wasn't so popular in Belgium. Um, and I'll say, I remember reading that, you know, where he lived, the basketball court wasn't really available until nighttime because soccer players took it over during the day. And so like, if you wanted to play basketball, you had to wait till the sun went down and play at night. So he must've been a real night owl considering he was watching like NCAA and NBA games in the middle of the night and also having to play ball, you know, at night. Yeah. I wonder how much sleep he got as a little kid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll add one thing too, is that he really did not know English when he came over, Mm. which surprised me because when I heard him talk the first couple of times I heard him talk, like he, his accent is not very strong. And um, so I thought, you know, maybe he grew up, you know, bilingual basically because his accent, but no, he really said that he did not know the language when he got here and he made an, a, a real effort to not speak with an accent. Um, and mm. he just, he just picked it up from going to school and listening really hard and, um, you know, learning with his friends. That's yeah, that's great. So he did, I'll say he, he was, he got his wish. He got recruited to several schools and, um, he did, he originally chose university of Georgia, um, and played there for two years and people will, people will, um, I was interested to Lisa read that he played one year with um, Anthony Edwards at Georgia. Um, but he stuck around after the, till his sophomore year. And then he entered the transfer portal, which is one of those things I always forget about. Cause it wasn't really around when I was in college, but like the transfer portal really allows players to move um, from one school to another without taking that hit of a, of an eligibility year. Like they used to have to take to, in order to switch schools. They made it really hard in the past to switch schools. Um, but he entered the transfer portal and he chose University of Dayton, which also had recruited him right out of high school. But he he had originally passed them up and chosen Georgia instead. And I don't know exactly all of the reasons why he might have decided to leave, but he did talk about how he just thought it was in the best interest of his long term development. Um, maybe we're talking about minutes and maybe we're talking about leadership, but like he had a much better opportunity to kind of like explore those at the University of Dayton. And his coach, I think his name is. Aaron Grant, it's something Grant. Um, his his coach at University of Dayton said that he really was looking for his younger team at that point for more of a leader, which Tumani really fit the bill for. And so he had an opportunity to be a little bit more of a, of a leader on that team, especially because he was coming as um, an upperclassman, which, you know, not at some of those some of those D1 schools, there aren't as many upperclassmen because a lot of those guys like move on and try to go pro before they're done with school. Um, he he after his junior season he like kind of felt out the idea of going to the draft and he eventually um withdrew um and went back to college again for one year and after he returned to university of dayton um you know he he had some great accolades there he was all atlantic atlantic 10 conference i think that's what they're called all atlantic 10 conference um on the third team and he he got some defensive awards and um yeah, he, he was selected up for the All-Atlantic 10 first team and all-defensive team in his senior season, or his fourth fourth year season. Um, and then after that is when he went to the draft. And I will say, I think that, like, partly, so a lot of people, especially Blazers fans, have wondered, like, 
how was he around 52 or whenever he was taken? I think that like there was probably some questions about his ability to shoot the ball. Like as we've seen here, his perimeter shot is not so great yet. It's it's he's still working on it. Um, and so there were some like obvious holes that make it harder to transfer to the pro game. But like the people always knew he was a really great athletic defender, could uh, could defend multiple positions and was was fast and athletic and had like the NBA, like prototypical body that everybody looks for. Um, I read a couple interviews with his former college coach. Um, I, I think it was getting ready for the draft. And then after he had been drafted to Phoenix, he talked about how he thought that like defensively he would be able to contribute right away to a team. But then he had some kind of offensive aspects of his game that he still needed to develop more, even though he had seen him make great strides when he was at University of Dayton. Um, the other thing that I heard his coach say is that he's which is no will be no surprise to Blazers fans, I will say, is that he never had to get on to money about his effort, how he brought it every night. He brought the intensity. He got after it. He loved like working out. And, you know, a lot of times you hear like coaches talk about, oh, he's a gym rat, you know, whatever, like lo loves the work. But like he basically said that, like, he never, ever had to get on his case about his work ethic or the way that he approached any game ever. He never, ever, ever slacked off. And I feel like that's exactly what we've seen from a guy who brings it every night, um, plays hard every night, plays good, good, solid defense. And, you know, maybe we'll see that like jump shot come along. Um, One thing that struck me about his college time is that his uh, his coach from Dayton loved talking about him. <laughs> Yes. really loved him and talked about how um it was the, like what he was looking for in Tumani was the leadership aspect of it because he had a, an extremely young team and Tumani was basically the only player when he transferred to Dayton who had any college experience and he leaned heavily on that for Tumani and that was something that was enticing to Tumani as well as to have the opportunity to learn how to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And this was clearly a coach who had tracked him for longer than that, like who had known what his game looked like when he was in high school because he tried to recruit him to University of Dayton back then. Um, so maybe it was just like the right the right time for them to come back together and play together, because um, I, I'll, I'll say this. I don't know if I've ever like when we would like do these things, Tara, I don't know if I've ever like looked up a guy and seen their college coach ride so hard for them take every interview to talk about him like ever and maybe that's a little bit of a product that university of dayton is also not really like a big like producer of nba basketball players but like i really like found that to be touching just how many interviews existed of mm -hmm. his college of his college coach there to talk to talk about him and hype him up um and i want to say so this is another thing that i found very interesting about his little journey to the NBA and his 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 journey to being a Blazer is that there was a little bit of a controversy on draft night about Tamani Kamara because on draft night, Malika Andrews reported that he was being included in the Bradley Beal trade. And so people didn't know if he was going to be a son or not. Like there were a lot of people who who went to bed that night thinking he was going to the Wizards. Oh, really? I yes. didn't know that. Yes. And like ESPN said it on air and they never issued a retraction. People tweeted it out. Some people issued retraction, some didn't. And so there was a lot of like, kind of like, there was, there was a lot of questions up in the air about whether or not he was going to be a son or not. So everybody was really happy when he was announced that he was going to be a son and then turn around, like, you know, weeks later, he was included in the next deal with the Blazers that brought Nurkic to Phoenix 
and sent Aiton here and Kamara was included in that trade. So like there was multiple times where they were like, he's a son, he's a wizard, he's mm-hmm. a son, he's a blazer. <laughs> yeah. And it's like he never actually suited up for them but th- despite the fact that he's had like multiple reasons to believe he was a son and mm-hmm. then something else. Well, and the Suns folks really liked him because he did play in summer league and he had mm-hmm. a he had a very nice summer league and um and they liked him there um the only thing that i would add to the college part of the bio here is that i i always look up and try to find out when guys may have played each other against each other right. um and there's not many of them anymore uh but on march 7th 2020 so right before the pandemic shut everything down um when he was playing for georgia um they played lsu that had trendon and skyler on that team i say skyler mays mm-hmm. and that's right lsu won game that game by 30 <laughs> so uh Ultimately, Tumani never played in the NCAA tournament. He played in the NIT a couple of times, but he never played in the um he never played in the NCAA tournament. Another thing that I thought was oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I always am a little interested in like how many hidden gems were like like players that end up being really good in the NBA were hidden on teams that like were not considered like NBA pipeline teams because it's just a scout who did a really good job on for some organization that decided that like this guy was for some reason um underrated in terms of like how they're perceived in the in the like high school to college college to pro um pipeline because like obviously those guys all scout you know teams like Kentucky and Kansas but like who's really going out of their way to go watch teams like University of Dayton go play you know mm-hmm. I and I think about how like Matisse was sort of discovered in high school by accident because he was playing against Zach Levine like there are a lot of guys out there that I'm sure are exceptionally good talents that people have just not had the opportunity to scout because it's hard to scout that many guys all across the country and it really depends on kind of the uh, the ecosystem around them early in their career to put them into the right pipelines for for NBA talent scouts to notice them mm-hmm. and Anyway, I was just thinking about that because like maybe a lot of those guys who are like drafted late in the second round to do really well, maybe a lot of them come from places that are just a little bit unorthodox and not in those like traditional Mm -hmm. pipelines that we see. Yeah, maybe it took a little bit longer for people to recognize them. And they're frequently older, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And those older guys, I think sometimes they have a higher floor, but their ceiling might not be as high. But man, Tumani's ceiling still feels like it's pretty far away. I mean, it it still feels... uh, feels pretty high but to kind of go back to you about like being recognized when it did come time for him to go to the draft he worked i like unbelievably hard to get himself recognized in order to be drafted um so he went to this thing that was called the portsmouth showcase which is for the guys who aren't necessarily the most visible but it's a chance for them to like go there and if they get recognized they may get an invite to the combine so there's Mm -hmm. various things that you can do to even get invited to the combine and one of them is to go to this Portsmouth showcase which he participated in right after that he had five different workouts and at least one of them if not more I think one of them uh, uh, maybe uh, maybe only one but he had like five total workouts where um but one of them definitely was a scout workout um, and I know about this because he talked to Raphael Barlow on one of my main sources of information about him is from this interview Raphael, that he did with. He's so good. 
Yeah. Yeah. We got to have Raphael on because I want to hear how, hear him talk about all these guys that he scouted um, and how they're doing now. But anyway, um, he had like a pro day where there were like hundreds of NBA scouts came and watched or international scouts came and watched him. And then he had 13 additional workouts after the combine. So, I mean, he traveled and worked so hard and he did work out for the Blazers, um, you know, during that time. But I was just like stunned at how many workouts that he did and like how much he must have been um, on the move. I loved um, there was a little bit of they his family or somebody made a video kind of about his journey to the NBA and they focused on uh, they did a draft night uh, segment. And um, that was really fun because late second rounder, late second rounders aren't often aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't want to go there and not be called. Um, but he said, like, I did not work this hard to come from Belgium. And he's a lot of pride in his country and where he's from. He's like, I did not work to come this far from my home and to be separated from my family to not hear my name if they're gonna call my name. So he had his brother and his mother there with him. Um, and so he was there when they called his name. So he got to um he got to go shake the assistant commissioner's hand. Um, but it was cute because yeah. they like they showed, you know, his mom like ironing his suit for him to get him all ready and him walking into the Barclays. And he wasn't with like the mass of all of the, you know, top prospects who all like come in together. Um, he was just kind of like walking around outside, like, which entrance am I supposed to go to? And he was like seated with like he was like seated in the seats, not like on the floor, right? He was seated like up I th- in the I think they may it looked like they maybe had a box or Mm. maybe there was just a box that he went to but they um, weren't like at the table he didn't have like a table. yes yeah he wasn't at one of the tables down there on on the floor um but I just loved that um you know that and he was so excited to have his mom um and his brother there he's very close to his family um I don't know what his mother did but I did see that after he got drafted she did retire like she was only able to see some of a few of his college games mm-hmm. um and she was definitely there at summer league because I, I saw an interview with her at summer league of her of her and his brother talking about it um at summer league it it's so interesting to me those guys that like are so self-possessed that they just know what their route is going to be. Like, you know how we talked about how, like, for some players, it's like basketball found them or, mm-hmm. like, they found basketball. And, like, Tamani Kamara's story to me is, like, someone who was self so self-possessed about what he wants out of his life. He wasn't mm-hmm. there to be told, like, this is how you, this is what you should do. This is what you, like, shouldn't do. Like, he was like, this is what I want to do, so I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. He went to the colleges that he wanted to go to. He transferred when he wanted to. Like, he came to the United States to, like, not necessarily a basketball, like, powerhouse school because he wanted to. Like, these are all things that he just, like, mapped out for his own life. And he's like, that's what I want for me. And so he wasn't going to be told, I'm not going to go to the draft just because I wasn't explicitly invited to be there. Like, I'm going to the draft because this is what I want for myself. And it really, like, I'll say I I love guys like that because I also think those are guys whose spirit spirits are very hard to break. Those, that's a persevering spirit right there. Yeah. You know, as I was leaning, learning about his journey to the NBA, I couldn't help but think about Aiton's journey to the NBA um, and how like basketball kind of like came and grabbed him <laughs> and mm-hmm. took him from home and plopped him in the United States and was like, here, go, you know, we're going to, we're going to make you into this person. And 
like you said, Tamani seemed like he was the one who's like, this is what I want to do. And here is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to the people who are going to help me with it. And you and I have talked about this before about like the people who are in that sort of middle ground where they um, aren't coaches or agents necessarily, but they're trying to put kids in front of people so that they will get noticed. And sometimes you get a little bit of an ick reading those stories. Um, and I never got that with um, the story of Tamani. He just seemed like he was, um, you know, set on a path of achievement that was going to get him to his goal of playing professional rather than like, I want to be the number one pick. It was like, I want to be a basketball player. And he's, and the people around him seem to have helped find him the places where not just he could come and be a star somewhere and like put them on the map. He chose places where he could grow and he could get and he could get better. And like, maybe it's different because, you know, he wasn't like this, the same kind of like high level prospect as like DeAndre Ayton was, but it just felt like um, uh, the path that he took was more natural to him and who he was. He didn't feel like he'd been sort of like ripped <laughs> from like, even though he left home, it, 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 it didn't seem like such a traumatic um, separation from, from the, from his family and from his country. Yeah, I felt the same way reading a story. At, and you're right. I, I think because we just did DeAndre Ayton, I was thinking a lot about DeAndre's story and how like there was a there was a lot of like question marks around like how how much agency he had throughout some of the process, though some of the some of the like I'll say the placements that he eventually went through. And it wasn't until like he later his mom intervened and was like never taking control of this again like that you felt like he had like a strong sense of like this is what is best for me and i for what i choose or what my family helps me choose for myself um tamani really feel like he felt like he was in the driver's seat of his of his like career path from like an early an early time which i really appreciate because like i think it's really hard quite frankly to have that especially when you're a top basketball prospect I think there are a lot of people who want to drive that bus for you and maybe he, that's the one of the benefits for him for being kind of an under the radar type of player and like a not a top prospect type of guy like because DeAndre Ayton was mm -hmm. picked out because of his because of his body because of his size from a very young age and everybody knew that he could make it to the NBA I bet you that when Tumani Kamara was developing his game when in Belgium and then you know at that prep school in Florida like that's not how people were looking at him mm -hmm. like with dollar signs all over him you know and I maybe that was like all the difference in terms of him like deciding what he wanted for himself and setting the course instead of having people try to influence him into setting it into the direction they think he should go because there's like like I think so we've talked about this there are a lot of people in that like space between like high school to college and then college to pro where like you don't have access to an agent or to other professionals. And it's really, I think it can be really hard to know who to trust to help you set that course for yourself. But for somebody like Tumani Kamara, who's like, I already know what I want help. I now I just need to find the person to help me do that thing, not to make decisions on what to do next is like maybe a, a better like way for you to be able to exercise your individuality in that way. Like, I'm just so happy for him that he's like doing the thing that he wants. And I don't have any like ick feelings about like whether or not he meant to arrive here or not. He did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He had um, his, his agent is a guy named David Poutier, P-U-T-T-E-R-I-E. 
David only has two clients um, and is from Belgium. And um, other, it was really hard to like find any names of people associated with Tumani's rise into the NBA. Um, you know, there's his coaches, his, his, his college coaches were very excited to talk about him. Um, uh, this guy, uh, his agent, like I recognized him from being in a lot of pictures, but he's like, not really in the spotlight. And, um, from reading like a couple really short, like bios about David, his whole thing is about, um, uh, basketball in Belgium and helping Belgian athletes, um, make it, you know, in, in the professional leagues. And that's something that kind of came through that comes through about Tamani with like kind of what he wants to do with his life. And maybe someday when he's ready to give back, he's talked about building up basketball in Belgium to give more kids like him the opportunity, um, you know, that he didn't have because Belgian just basketball is just not that big in his home country. Um, but that is all to say that I think this guy is, who is his agent, um, seem to be really focused on his client and Belgian basketball, um, you know, because his name wasn't all over the place. It was hard to find him and it was hard to, you know, figure out who he was, where sometimes in other cases, not necessarily in DeAndre Ayton's cases, but in, in some other cases that we've read about, like we know the names of all the people that were around him, <laughs> they got them because they really wanted to get their names out there. That didn't seem to be, um, be the case so much at least in this in this one i wanted to uh call out that the coach of you know, i couldn't remember the guy's name the coach from the university of dayton his name is not aaron grant it's anthony grant and the thing that i wanted to remember to to talk about briefly was just that he was he he mostly has been a coach in the college sphere but from 2015 to 2017 he was an assistant at okc and um, before he took the head coach job at University of Dayton. And one of the interesting things to me about that is that uh, that Thunder team, wasn't that like right at the end of the Scott Frost era to 2017? Not Scott Frost. You mean Scotty, Scotty, ba- Scotty, Scotty Brooks. Brooks. Scott Brooks. Scott like, Brooks. <laughs> um, I think it might have been. I mean, it was it was like at the end of their run. Right. And relevancy in that iteration of the team right so 2017 was the year that like that kevin durant moved on right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then after durant left uh scott brooks was there for another couple of years with just russell westbrook mm-hmm. so they would have worked together is what you're so, saying right yeah okay. so what i'm saying is that he, they would have worked together and um now he's the top assistant in portland mm-hmm. so he mm-hmm. may he they may have like a nice way of being able to communicate with his coach about how to like really coach Tamani Kamara mm-hmm. because they have a connection as being working on the same coaching staff. And obviously that's it's somebody that I would have thought that that Brooks would have hired himself. This mm-hmm. is also a coach that he might have hired him that he probably hired himself for his own staff. Yeah, that's a good find. Um, he definitely was on the, the Blazers radar. And I know that the people in Phoenix were super bummed <laughs> that he was uh, included in that trade. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I've seen a lot of people talk about how. Um, how he might is like a throw in and like, I can't believe we got him for free. I don't know if I believe that. 
based on everything I've read about him and all the ways that people have had like eyes on him, I don't know if I believe that he was a throw-in. I think that to the fans, the perception was my, maybe that he was a throw-in, but like throw-ins are usually chosen for a reason over other guys that could potentially be thrown into a trade. And I have to believe that there was like, there was some like significant interest in him specifically and mm. not that he was just a, like a, like an addition, a, a bonus gift or whatever in that trade. I can see him being like a significant draw. Mm-hmm. um for in terms of interest and whatnot yeah and, and i can i can see why that you know why i could i could see that phoenix may have actually had to think about it you know like was is this the the person that we want to part with right now for yeah. you know considering who's coming back and in, in return anything else you want to talk about with tamani i have a few just like random things that i learned about him uh well i do want to talk about one brief thing about him um Tamani Kamara is left-handed, but he is quite ambidextrous. He, sh- I don't know if you've noticed, but he shoots right-handed, except he sh- seems to shoot his threes left-handed. So he shoots well with both, although I will say he does need to work on that three-point shot, so maybe he should see what the right-handed situation looks like over there. Um, but I do think that there's some really, there's some really, like, great aspects of being left-handed speaking as a left-hander is you just learn to do a lot of things in an ambidextrous way because the world kind of demands it of you and in basketball I think that can be a really strong asset is that you like you might not be able to like predict which guy which like a guy's favorite side but like when all like if you know all things being equal they would prefer to go like right over left or left over right or whatever like I think that those ambidextrous guys can be a little bit sneaky because they have like some really strong skills on the other side of their body because the world forces you to be a little bit more right-handed than you might otherwise be if the world were were built for left-handers yeah I think yeah I think um that will be an advantage to him um I I was just thinking about um his dunks he has some pretty great dunks too (laughs) yeah and can i say that my favorite moment of this entire season maybe is when um tumani got that block to send the game to overtime against utah he got he like he defended so well and he blocked the he blocked the the ball like right right as time was expiring to send it to overtime and brogdon gives him like a chest bump into the next dimension (laughs) (laughs) it's so big he's so hyped it was such a huge block and he was so hyped about it i made me so happy for him to get that to like one have that kind of success and like to also like have that validation and also just as a blazer fan i was like when is the last time we were ever sitting there staring down the clock with like one possession game and we needed to get a stop and we actually got it like it's so not our experience as a fan base Totally. That is not what we're used to see. We're used to seeing that ball go in and us losing at the last second. Right. Or we're used to like, you know, winning or going into overtime because they made the shot, not because right. they prevented the other team from scoring. <laughs> yeah. But this was like a straight up, like he blocked a layup. Uh-huh. He, he like, he went and he blocked a layup and it was like, right as the time expired. And I was like, like, what did we do to deserve this? Yes. This one on this like one-on-one king. <laughs> well, and he just never stops. I love that. I love his effort. It's just he just never stops. And you know, some of the, he's not the only one on the, on this team right now, but like, 
yeah, he's just always in, and I just love how he relishes playing the best blessed player on the team. Last night in the game against Luca, it was really weird because I kept looking up, and every time I looked up, Shaden was guarding Luca, and I was like, why on earth is Shaden guarding Luca? And then I went and looked at the actual like possession numbers, and Tamani actually guarded him like three times more than Shaden did. Um, it was just that uh, Luca was perfect on shots when Shaden was guarding him. I just kept going, why is Shaden? Not that Shaden's like a terrible defender, but he's not the right one to put on Luca. Um, So um, Denver must have been doing that on purpose. I feel like Kamara is on defense what we wanted like Mo Harkless to be on defense. Mm -hmm. Like as far as like the way, like, I mean, it's not exactly the same but I think that like what we are the thinking around Mo Harkless was like develop a three point shot and make him like a total like smotherer on D. Yeah. And he got like pretty good at both of those things, but never quite where they like wanted him to be. And Kamara, I feel like his defensive ceiling is probably higher than Mo's was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's relentless, <laughs> which is which is really fun to watch. <laughs> I want to know what kind of coffee he drinks because I I feel confident he drinks coffee. Mm-hmm. Well, there's uh and uh because. I say, Bel- Bel- there's there's anyway Belgium. There's a lot of coffee. There's a lot of coffee culture in Belgium, but I need to know what kind he drinks because I feel like it's probably really good, and I'm missing out. <laughs> um, okay, I have a few other random things about him. Okay. Um, for hobbies, he likes doing puzzles. He says, "I'm a big puzzle guy. I do an act. I do actual jigsaw puzzles, the big ones." Um, and the biggest one that he's done is a 10,000 piece puzzle, which as a puzzler oh who like usually maxes out at 1,000, 10,000 is huge. I think that was during um, during the pandemic and other hobbies that he has drawing and dancing. And I'm like, oh, hmm. <laughs> we need to know more about that second one. <laughs> Wait, did he dance at FanFest? I do not remember. Because, we'll you know, they usually look. make they usually make those guys sing and dance at FanFest. Yeah, I don't know. We need to go back and find that out. Um, I don't think I have space in my house to do a 10,000 piece puzzle. <laughs> the pieces are super duper tiny. Yeah. No, you have to have a whole entire room dedicated just to puzzles. When he was a kid in Belgium, he went to a uh, camp that was hosted by Bismack Biombo. So there was a really sweet interview where he was being interviewed by Phoenix Media and they were asking him who he was most excited to see. Um, in the NBA and he said he really wanted to meet Bismack Biombo because of like the full circle moment <laughs> and it was like also we have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker <laughs> but great that you want to meet Bismack Biombo who <laughs> wasn't even in the league like this like when he said that Bismack Biombo didn't have a contract yet because uh, Memphis signed him like in October or something Memphis signed him like at the very last oh. second because they had so many injuries had he just I, finished up with Phoenix? Because was he on Phoenix last season? I think that's right. But he was like a free agent until like really late this season. Uh huh. Biz, like Bismack Biombo was like, when remember at the beginning of the season when all of a sudden Memphis didn't have Jaw and they had all these guys yeah. who were injured and they couldn't play like Marcus Smart and whatever. Like mm-hmm. they signed him late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and now I'm really bummed because, you know, I think that Bismack Biombo's first game in the NBA this season was against Portland. And now I'm really sad I didn't see, I didn't look at this. Oh, that is so true. I have to go back and watch it on, on record to see the beginning or the end, see if they ever missed each other. But it also, like, Bismack Biombo came to Belgium 
And that mm-hmm. was like, a, you know, a, a big deal for him. And it kind of goes back to the whole theme of him being really proud of Belgium um, and wanting to um, build up basketball um, in that nation. He, during the pandemic, he did not go back to Belgium, though. He did stay in Florida. Um, I can't tell, couldn't tell if he has a girlfriend or if he has pets. <laughs> you know, we always do that. We always look and couldn't just i i couldn't tell they did that he did say in one interview that he stayed in florida during the pandemic um with his girlfriend but i don't i don't know where that is anymore so um i think that's about all i have on tamani but i just i'm super excited about him i think he has a like like i said a high ceiling i think it's um great that he is in the starting lineup and he remains in the starting lineup even when um folks are healthy and i have just a lot of hope that he's going to be a big part of this team moving into the future yeah me too and i i will say like one of the like great or like refreshing parts about this team is that i feel like we have guys who serve like strong defensive purposes mm-hmm. in ways that like we hadn't really built toward before and like or, you know like more recent iterations of the blazers like we had guys were like we we were, I felt like we were always like a let's get our defense serviceable enough mm-hmm. to have a potent offense that yeah. can win games, and now I feel like we went out and got guys like Matisse Thibel and Kamara who like are really there because they serve like strong defensive purposes and they are really helpful on on defense. Like I don't know, like you know how sometimes you just see those those teams that are built around like a starting five that are like really potent offensive players and, and like a one to two defensive anchors. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we have that now. We're getting there. Yeah, we have that. We it's have been that. a rough couple of weeks for defense. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think I can see the vision at least toward mm-hmm. that where you have this like more balanced yeah. style than we had had in previous years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Also, I love a left-handed, I love a left-handed player. I love, I love Rodney Hood. I love Ed Davis. I love Kamara. Chris Murray is also left-handed. Mm-hmm. We got some nice lefties. I'm glad for that for you. <laughs> Should we go on to takes? Yes. Tara, it is, when we're recording this, it is December 17th, 2023. And I'm here to ask you, what's your take? So I went downtown yesterday um, purely to go see the Christmas decorations and just enjoy that because I haven't been to do that in many, many, many years. I went down to Pioneer Place where I remembered that adorable story about Scoot. As soon as he got here, he landed at the Jupiter Hotel and he still had on his um, jersey and he ran across the street to Pioneer Place and ran around Pioneer Place with his (laughs) blazer jersey on. So I did not run into him, nor did I run into any Dallas Mavericks who were also at the Jupiter Hotel. What I did run into at uh, made in oregon was the fruitcake that is made by the monks in i can't remember where they are in oregon but there's a a, a monk uh they make fruitcakes and here's my take good fruitcake is good people gotta stop trashing fruitcake okay bad fruitcake not good good fruitcake super good <laughs> uh, that is my take you think that you're saying that you think that a lot of people 
throw the baby out with the bathwater and that like they've had bad fruitcakes and so therefore all fruitcake is bad but yes. they just need to get themselves some good fruitcake they've never had good fruitcake okay i can get down with that <laughs> i have not had good fruitcake so good especially when they use like the real fruit you know like they use dried fruit instead of like fake candy fruit you know and when they like use like a batter that's not just like a weak batter but it's like a really like strong buttery batter mm, it's yummy what kind of fruit was in this fruit cake that you had all the kinds all the kinds <laughs> all yeah. the kinds of dried fruit yeah <laughs> lots of it okay i love that take I've, I've maybe i need to go out and find myself some good fruit cake and report back my take this this week and this comes back to like some kind of some personal feelings that I have just in general about the world. But I need the NBA pundits to stop calling Zion Williamson fat and out of shape. I don't like it. I think that there are ways to talk about his conditioning as a player, if that's what they're trying to say, without like making it feel like it is personal and also about like what his body looks like. Because I have heard guys like this year talk about Zion in a way that I feel like is very disrespectful and very like. I don't like it. It's very, it, it's just very negative to be talking about him and say like, look at him. He's out of shape, which basically is saying when I look at him, his body doesn't look right to me. And I don't want that like perpetuated in the world for anybody. NBA, regular life, whatever. I just don't want us to talk about people's bodies that way. And I want them to find more nuance and more ways to say that in a respectful way, because I don't think it's nice to comment on anybody's body like that. So that's my take. I need I need you NBA pundits to stop talking about how Zion is fat and out of shape. He's not. Look at him play. We know he's not. He plays a sport at a level that none of us will ever, ever dream of. He's amazing. And if you think he could be better with slightly different conditioning or a slightly different body composition, say that in a way that is more respectful of who he is and what he's accomplished. And here's the thing is, I'm not even the biggest Zion Williamson fan. I just don't even like, I just don't like the way people have decided to like talk about him now. So anyway, that's my take. Here, here, 10 out of 10. No notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, listen. Listen to Rose, everybody. <laughs> I, I'll say this. I know that we're more sensitive when we talk about that kind of stuff with women, but I think that we need to be just as sensitive when we talk about that the stuff with men or other people. It's just not okay. It's not nice. And Zion Williamson is exceptionally good at basketball. Let us not forget. He has dunked on us more than once. Yeah, I mean, to it's just it just boggles my mind to like to to think that with how Zion plays, they feel like they need to say that. <laughs> it's just like right. It's it's just you know, be more creative in your um in your commentary and leave his looks out of it and acting like one look is bad when it's just like it's natural that's that's his human form that's his body that gets him through the day and makes him also by the way an incredible basketball player and some of the best basketball players in the league right now are people with bodies that are atypical to what is like considered the nba prototype right Jokic has a very different body than people expected him to have and he's the best player in the nba right now look at luka Doncic. he is thick and big and he moves like you would never expect for a guy who's built like that and he's incredibly good 
at basketball. Maybe we should need to expand like the like the kinds of possibilities that we see out there for what like the like the perfect NBA body looks like, you know? There mm-hmm. was a time where like I was thinking back to when I was younger, people used to say that Charles Barkley was was like fat. And I looked at Charles Barkley playing and I looked at like I look at him now and I'm like, he looks regular. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people said that about him. It was just because he looked slightly different than what they thought he should look like. But he was also, again, very good at basketball. Mm-hmm. So maybe, again, we just need to think a little bit more like out of the box of what we think a, a good basketball body looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, here. Okay. Off my soapbox. <laughs> All right, Rose. Well, we better wrap it up. Uh, it's been, a, as usual, a pleasure talking to you. Um, anything you want to share with folks about like where they can find you or anything like that? Uh, yeah, you can find me at Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram at Rose L. Harding. You can also find me in the um, We Have a Take Discord. Tara, where can people find you? They can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter and they can find the We Have a Take podcast at We Have a Take on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks everyone for listening. We appreciate you all so much and especially everyone who sent in suggestions for our awards. Keep them coming. We really appreciate them. We got a long, we still have many months ahead of us that we're going to have to keep ourselves entertained with, with this wonderfully developing team. So yes, keep your comments coming. We appreciate it so much. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you later. Bye.